up. This is, uh, you know, that negative thought you've been having, and uh, I just, uh, I just can't let you try and change yourself without a fight. So, uh, go ahead and just turn the show off, okay? And, um, uh, yeah, everything's still fine. This is Blindsight with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. You serious? We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Hi there. Welcome to Blind Sight. The this is a product of Audio Information Network of Colorado, uh, and it's a podcast designed to talk about mental health and mental wellness. And I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and I'm really delighted to have as our guest today, Linda McCollum, who is a blindness coach. And uh, I'm real excited to have her on board because I think this is uh, an important thing for people to be aware of. So, Linda, welcome to Blindsight. Thank you. Nice to be here. What I wanted to start off with, is, as I often do, is to ask uh, my guest uh, uh, to tell me a little bit about how they got to where they are in terms of their uh, uh, their particular title, shall we say, in, in your case, a blindness coach. You know, how did you get there? What made you decide to take that direction? Well, I have been a health writer, um, and yoga teacher, but I had also um, been to the eye doctor. I had I was getting a blurriness and um, especially one eye, and I went into the eye doctor and was told I had a degenerative disease and was going to lose my sight. And that terrified me. Um, t- turns out it was keratoconus, and it's been fairly stable. But after I um, after having been a health writer for a while, I ended up working for a nonprofit serving people with vision loss. And I worked for six years, I believe, um, at Connections for Independent Living. And I often partnered with Insight Skills Center. And then I later ended up working as outreach coordinator for Insight. So I learned a lot about the impacts of vision loss on people's lives. And I learned a lot about um, the tools that helped and the kinds of support people needed and the amazing resources available. Um, you know, and I o- always had a bit of an understanding of what it was like to get a diagnosis. Sure. Scary. So, um, you know, during the pandemic, um, Insights director Denny Moyer and I and Michael Stone, who's another um, adapting to vision loss coach, decided to put together more of an actual program and, you know, find a way to help people one on one who wanted, you know, they would probably get, be getting Insights wonderful services, but they would also want to talk to someone about the emotional impacts and other impacts on their life and how in their particular lives, they were adapting and what might help. So we created this Adapting to Vision Loss coaching program. Hmm. And I do have coach training, and I do have a mental health background, though I'm not a licensed therapist. But if I'm going to a coach, 
And let's say I, uh, insight tells me to see you. Uh, what, what kinds of things that I would have to share with you? And, you know, tell me a little bit about what happens when you, when they get, I got, if I got your name, what would happen next? Yeah. Um, people might be talking with our admin folks or an occupational therapist and, and, um, those staff people might suggest that someone talk with me or with Michael. And um, then if they are inclined, I would talk with them on the phone and kind of an informal assessment. It We found it worked better just to talk. And so I check in on the various areas of someone's life, um, you know, the how they're faring with, with the uh, how they're feeling about the diagnosis or, or change in vision, um, and then what kinds of social support they have, what kind of tools they've had um, that have been helpful. So what is helping and what they're struggling with? Um, if they've already seen insights, um, eye doctor and occupational therapist, that's usually a big help because they already start to understand right. mm-hmm. the amazing help they can get. Um, but still, there's going to be, you know, the emotional impact and, and many areas of life affected that they'll want to talk through and figure out their own individual approach to, you know, how am I going to adapt to this? Um, I'm feeling this way about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the number of issues for each individual, you know, right, impacted yeah. in different ways, of course. And do you also, you do an assessment of the family support? And where the family is, because some, you know, some family members are more uh, denial than uh, the person who who's got the issue. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, their family members are invited to come, you know, talk. Oh, they are okay. Phone calls with us. Um, Insights occupational therapists are actually really good at addressing. Uh, those types of things with the families too. And sometimes um, they'll talk with them more than I will on that kind of thing. Cause the they'll, family members will go to the assessments as well. And they'll get sort of an education on what their loved ones experiencing and how it impacts them and the things that can help and how they can still be independent. Right. Um, so that kind of education for the family member um, is important, and sometimes I do it, but I, I think the bulk of it comes from the occupational therapist. Uh-huh. So, but your role is to give emotional support or help the uh, support the individual. Yeah, um, to really um, meet them where they are in terms of the emotions um, that are impacting them like strongly at that particular time of diagnosis or, or a new loss, and, um, you know, I check in with people, though, like lev- like if someone has severe depression or struggling with multiple life issues or something from the past, you know, we I do refer to psychotherapists. And we do have a, a very wonderful person to refer to who has um, a vision impairment herself. Oh, good. Um, mm-hmm. Psychotherapist. Yeah. Yeah. So I can usually tell, you know, in the the person and I can tell together, you know, when they really might prefer a psychotherapist or maybe me and the psychotherapist. But 
often, you know, people need to know, yes, you, there are the other people going through this. Yes, of course you feel right. scared or angry, you know, in the, or you feel these emotions, of course, you know, just to be heard. I, I try to be very present with people and listen deeply because, you know, it's really hard to, to learn some of the, to adapt and learn some of these new skills while you're also going through the emotional roller coaster. So you spend time really um, sitting with that and knowing it's okay to feel that way and, and knowing others have been through it and connecting people with the support group that um, Insight sponsors and, and, you know, Penn has led. And so it's people's, it can be really, really helpful just to know they're not completely alone in what they're going through. Hmm. Absolutely. So that you, you kind of have resources and if they raise something, uh, you know, such and such, then you can uh, tell them to talk to the occupational therapist or make a specific recommendation. Why don't you check on life, you know, a support group or something like that. And that's in the purview. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah, since I've worked in this field for 13 years, uh, I really know the resources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's times when I have to refer someone to, like, the area agencies on aging or to Center for People with Disabilities in the Boulder area or Connections for Independent Living in the Weld County area, you know, right. or Disabled Resource Service. Because um, they have a number of other resources and caseworkers, um, independent living specialists that can help with on a number of things, you know, Department of Human Services, like, so, um, as well as just, um, you know, knowing that somebody might be, uh, or they might bring it up that they're ready for orientation and mobility training or um, more intensive computer help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, really able to hear what might be most helpful or, you know, somebody has learned a few things and then I can hear that they're ready for the next, you know, tool or assistive technology um, that they have been exposed to, but hadn't been able to assimilate, you know, the information yet. So we, we can slowly start to master various life areas or to, to learn about um, and to use new tools over time. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of people get very uh, uh, uptight if somebody uh, mentions a therapist. But, you know, a coach is, you know, somehow would lower the uh, anxiety threshold. They don't feel like they're a medical problem. This is a uh, uh, an experience problem, you know, getting used to the idea of, of a change and uh, would lower yeah. their anxiety to talk to you rather than the therapist, unless you, you know, it really becomes very clear that they have to, it's not working on blindness so, so much as the anxiety or the depression. Yeah, that's a really uh, well said point, because sometimes I think of myself as a navigator. There we go. I like that word. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, navigating your way through this new life experience, you know, through a lot, through a big transition, through a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the uh, and and there's no reason we can't explore the emotions. You know, I'm I'm really big on like it's okay we can sit with this because if we push the emotion away, it'll keep you know harassing us, right? To, so to speak. Right. Um, 
Whereas if you can acknowledge it and let it be part of what you're going through, in, at least in little bits and pieces, you know, let that in for a little bit here and there when you feel more capable of dealing with it, you know, and I can be somebody's partner and sitting with it and letting it, letting ourselves acknowledge that it's there. Um, it just is important part of the process. And, you know, I have had people say that once they f- are able to do that and accept what's happening in their lives, they're more able to start mastering some of the new tools and new behaviors and that they want to address. I imagine uh, you've observed a gen- somewhat, uh, not uh, every time, but a lot of times, men don't like to talk about emotion. And women are given more permission from society to talk about emotion. Both, both of them need some coaching and just admitting, if you will. I know when I got the diagnosis, I, you know, my, my thinking was uh, action-oriented rather than how I felt. And mm. I, I created some, and I didn't have a coach. I had to, you know, a uh, doctor told me of the diagnosis, and I immediately went into an action mode. And uh, action mm-hmm. really was, I needed a kick in the pants to change my career. And this was it. Which then meant I could just avoid all the emotional part of it. And then later, yeah. when I could no longer uh, deny it, you know, I could fake it for a while and did. But when I had to get... You know, I went mm-hmm. to Voc Rehab, and they gave me a white cane, and they uh, maybe two or three trips out with a white cane, and that was it. And, you know, wow. I had to deal with it in, in a lot of other different ways. And certainly I think what you're suggesting is extremely important. You know, have people just acknowledge that they're not some cuckoo having these emotions, that everybody has this kind of upset. But if you're not used to it, you've got a job to do to get people to even acknowledge what they're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it is mostly women that decide to, to take advantage of the coaching. It is it is free for people 55 and up in Colorado. And um, so. Yeah, but it's, it's the women that take it rather than the men. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. Um, but it does. You know, and sometimes people will just not want to be talking about the emotions. It, it might take them a few months. Right. And then they come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're saying too, how they, they might be going into survival mode and figuring some certain life things out. And then, um, you know, like we all process it sometimes just takes us time to be prepared to sit and explore those emotions right. a, little, a little bit. Or they just shut yeah. down. But it, I, or they shut down and maybe yeah. You mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's the issue, and and because we're not a society where men and women are allowed to talk freely about emotions, it, it it's almost scary for people. So that's your job is to help people to uh, create an environment so that people can talk about what they're feeling about this yeah. diagnosis. People, people feel like they should buck up, you know, right. get on with it, uh, you know, 
you can have your five minutes of grieving right or saying you're scared that's it get on with it <laughs> that's yeah that's what our society says but i i'm a strong believer and like i think our emotions guide us if we can feel them yes we've had a big loss and i have to acknowledge that and, ex- and to some extent accept it as much as I can. And then, then it kind of guides us. I've lost this, and but I can also feel my emotion. And I can feel what's next, what's most important to me right now in my life. And, and that's a way to move forward. But it's also, you know, once we get in touch with our emotion, then we're free to move forward. It's when we lock it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't allow those mm. emotions out, then we're we get we can get very paralyzed. And and so yeah. so you're you're giving the keys to unlocking some of that. Now now where are the support groups? Uh, I know that uh, uh, Audio Information Network handles a uh, a virtual support group on Wednesdays. I think mm. Wednesdays at one o'clock. Uh, there are others around, I, I would imagine. Yeah, and a lot of them got interrupted with the closure around the pandemic. And Insights actually um, does that Wednesday support group. It's now monthly, um, which is wonderful. And there's a new facilitator that, along with Penn Street. Um, I'm sorry, it's once a month, the, the one that, uh, you, that uh, Insight does is once a month. On Wednesday. It's every week now. Every week now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right. Like the Center for People with Disabilities has had a number of support groups, like in some retirement centers, at the center itself, and in other um, community places. Um, you know, and that some of those things took a long uh, hiatus during the pandemic shutdown. So, so they, they've, some of them have gone online and you'd have to check with them to see where they stand. But there are other support groups around some, um, you know, retirement centers or independent living centers or assisted living centers have their own too. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't matter where, where people live, they can uh, probably find something fairly close if they just ask around or maybe call insight and find out uh, where there might be something near their home? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if insight would say this. The, the insight one is now virtual, so anyone yeah, can access anyone, yeah, it. Yeah, right. Um, and that makes it um, very convenient. And that's certainly the first part to, to first place to start. Yeah. And, you know, another thing, this is making me think of another thing that I often tell people about that also makes them feel less alone and and is encouraging is, you know, the the podcast through, of course, Audio Information Network. And then, um, you know, even Hadley's website has webinars and, and Insight's website has some things on like self-advocacy and, you know, emotion, emotional adjustment and um, so those types of resources are, it's really nice. People can listen to them on their own time and gain a lot from hearing, oh, this people's been, this person's been through this and they're really right. thriving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, that, as you know, doing your po- podcast as you do, <laughs> but I, that's just been tremendously helpful to a lot of people I've spoken with. Well, what... 
uh, kinds of things do you uh, do run up against? What kinds of things that, that people have to be watchful of in terms of their trying to navigate this new information? Uh, you know, there are not a lot of people who really understand blindness. Yeah. Um, well, we've talked about kind of, um, you know, the grief and and getting depressed. And some people will feel isolated and reluctant to go out. Um, so we can handle that a little at a time. But there, I've also been struck by it. The people feel like they've lost their identity and maybe that yes. means their role more specifically. Like, oh, I was the person who always picked up my grandkids or I always did this in my community or I had this, you know, career where a very demanding career. Um, so it, it feels like they're losing their identity. Um, and yet they're still their their same great self. They're just but their role has changed dramatically. And so people don't know who they are to some, to some extent or what they want to do with their time. Um, you know, so it, it, they just have always thought of themselves as, as this person that did X or Y, you know, right. I took care of this for other people and now I'm the one that needs help. And right. well, so well, that talking was, about that is, yeah, that was my instant reaction when I got the diagnosis uh, I was working and uh, doing uh, sales promotion writing, and I said, I mm. can't do this now. I, and fortunately, I was primed to, I, I wasn't that happy with it. But yeah, I had to reassess, okay, what do I do now? How do I justify my existence? Because, you know, mm. this was this was everything I had done up to that point. And, you know, I switched careers. Yeah. But I was, became an administrator, which was again didn't work for me. But that's fine. I tried it out and didn't. And then that's how I became a therapist. But then that was a scary thing, because, you know, what will people think? You know that magic word. What would sentence? What will people think? A blind therapist, or hmm. you know, can I manage uh, even getting from point A to point B? And that's the kind of thing that it would have been nice to have been able to talk to you about, you know, kind of, mm. you know, rather than, uh, you know, just uh, with a, a lick and a prayer, you know, make it from point A to point B. Because, as you say, yeah, total change, total t- change in, in what goes on. And that's what people need support on. Though they don't know how to ask yeah. for it. Right. Yeah. So you took some big leaps of toward new roles, and we're kind of processing that by yourself. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, I had some some people around me, but they didn't know because they weren't. You know, how many people see see blind people? You know, really. And you know, time and yeah. time again, and even this uh, uh, when I was at a class reunion, the people said. You're the first blind person that we that I've known, and I, I think, what, oh, wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was going to say one one of the other subjects that 
I talk with people a lot about they'll they'll bring up the like perceptions of other people or like how to advocate for themselves in a store or um you know, in a social situation or something they've always done or their spouse has always done, right. um, their partner that they have to go along to as well, you know, maybe formal or informal situations. Like, how do you, you know, do I want to tell people that I can't see their face clearly anymore or do I not, or how do I negotiate the food table? Like, how do I do all these things? Um, you know, and I'm still reluctant to even let people know. So like advocating for oneself, asking for help when needed, um, clarifying for others. Ed, you know, some people are tired from educating, as, as I know you would know, like educating others constantly um, who don't understand mm -hmm. what it's like to have lost vision. So what do you recommend? What do you what do you tell people in that kind of situation? Yeah. Um, again, it's it's um, kind of important just to express it and say this is what's really <laughs> a challenge out in the world, and and then to you know get comfortable enough in oneself and th with the situation to be able to clearly communicate. You know, I have low vision and I can't see this. Would you please read this particular thing, or you know, ask specifically for what's needed? You know, to to develop sort of that acceptance and assertiveness to do that. Um, you know, and sometimes it's talking to a family member, like I do want help with this, um, but not with this, you know? So I think just when they, when someone talks with me, they get more comfortable with where they're coming from and what they, they can clarify what they need in the situation and what they want. Um, you know, and then, you know, that, that acceptance to, 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 tell people what their situation, where they're coming from. So it's clarifying. It's, it's being prepared to assert oneself, you know, it's um, accepting and, and becoming more bold out in public. And again, I think it helps to talk, to hear from others in a support group, you hmm. know, about that. Right. Because encounter, those encounters. What frequently happens is that someone may, take over rather than communicate with the person who uh, has blindness as to, uh, mm. you know, asking what they need. People do ask me, I'm on the street, I'm standing there uh, trying to decide which way I want to go. And somebody comes along and says, uh, uh, do, uh, do you need help? And my usual response mm. is, oh, I'm beyond help. And the reason I do that, one is because you, a little bit of humor breaks some of the barrier between another person. But uh, the thing is what people will do instead of asking will just grab you by the arm. And what do you do? You don't want to take a white cane and beat some little old lady over over her head because she thought she could she knew what uh, what you needed and was taking you across the street when you didn't. You know, what do you do? In, yeah. uh, as you say, are these the kinds of things that come up that you have to kind of help people to address? Because these are very basic. Uh, people, uh, you know, people being very nice, but they don't ask. And, you know, and, and I, yeah. how do you how do you say to people as a, as a coach, 
you know, show people how do you handle this. And also, I think in terms of how can we get people to see themselves as not really having changed as much as they perceive themselves as having changed. They're still the same person. It just happens they have one less faculty, so to speak, but that doesn't make them any less than anybody else. But that's the mindset that somebody may fall into. And and the question, you know, uh, for you is how do you get people to to realize that, realize that. I think that that's really important. Yeah. The, that's, and it's self-compassion at first that, you know, sometimes we beat ourselves up when we have a, a you know, a body issue, you know, a, or a health issue that, um, or something that changes our ability. Um, and then, and it's also hard to accept that this is happening to us. So, Again, I, I do think it's processing and acknowledging the emotions and and relating to people from all your great qualities and, and, and knowing that you have support and remembering that people care for you and, um, you know, accepting yourself and where you're at, as I've said, and, um, and that it's okay to ask for what you need and to, to explain your situation or to inform people of your situation. Um, so it's, you know, multiple discussions on those things and remembering one's self-worth right. and the right to to be out in society and, and doing what everybody else does. Then people have more voice to be assertive. Not that this is easy and simple, but it's a process we can we keep exploring and and people find so much resilience. This hasn't doesn't have to do with me, but they find resilience inside that people are strong and resilient and they want to go about their lives. And, and so, you know, kind of coaxing that out um, and supporting people as they do it, you know, and some people really surprise me. They're way ahead of me. Like I'm, I want to go do this. So I'm going to figure it out, you know? So they'll tell you that. And then you encourage them to follow through on what their, what their plan is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, their, their family member and, you know, they're, everybody's getting used to this new person, you know, new, new behaviors. And, um, and over time it just becomes more easy. They just got to break through at first and, and then there's more, you know, the resiliency and the courage are more ready at hand. Well, I would imagine it feels a little bit like, uh, being a referee when it has to do with the family and allow and having the, you know, you blow a whistle when the family starts to take over and kind of teach, uh, or encourage people to say no to the family. I don't need, I need you to do this, but not that. Or I don't need to be treated, yeah. treated like some fragile, uh, China doll that's going to break if you touch it. Yeah, and that's actually not been a real um, to- dominant kind of issue for people. Uh, you know, and once people kind of learn to get their, when they get their voice, you know, they're able to kind of talk with the family members. But I'll, so I end up more kind of coaching them about what they want and need, and then they then they can talk to their family member. I see. But I do think a lot of 
I do think a lot of the educating of the family members comes mostly from, you know, having seen the Insight team, um, you know, and working with them, mm-hmm. you know, two or three times. Oh, I see. So, yeah. so it's kind of like from, you know, if the person presents the issue to you, say, you know, I really am being driven crazy by X, Y, Z. That's part of the topic of the conversation that you would have with the person in working out a, a plan, if you will, to, uh, as you say, be more assertive or to, uh, to, to set up some boundaries, which, of course, is uh, sighted families have boundary issues and assertiveness issues, but it's a different, uh, you know, where the person feels less than they have to deal with that feeling and acknowledge that, no, they're not less than. They're just the same as they were before. But that's real hard to convince somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, everybody's adjusting, but you're right. It's, it, is, it is encouraging the person who's had vision loss um, to, to, you know, they're kind of adapting to their own situation and feelings about it and want once, you know, supporting them in that and then supporting them and communicating with others and educating them and telling them what they need and don't need. Exactly. Yeah. I'd l- one other thing I really like to um, I end up focusing on people um, about, too, is like the stress management, because you're kind of you're you can be anxious, <laughs> obviously, like um you're not doing things like you used to. You're wondering if you can do them or um, just like the, trying to master several new skills at once. And it can be frustrating. So, um, you know, I'm a, I have a yoga background and a bit of mindfulness meditation. And I just uh, like to help people feel a little more solid, like with some deep breathing and, and some right. ways to kind of calm down. If, if they're, you know, needing to do do a task or if they're having a particular, like, anxiety hitting them at a, around a particular issue or something like that. So, you know, getting in touch with the body and the, how you can find a better sense of ground, ground groundedness and solidity um, with a little deep breathing and um, sitting nice and tall in, in a solid posture, you know, and uh, um, just being able to diffuse some of the intense anxiety here and there. Yes. That's be important as well. You know, and think and cl- tune into your other senses, you know, if you can calm down and, you know, access some of your other ways of experiencing the world, it can be helpful too, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, to me that's real important to you know to to help people get some skills in helping calm themselves down instead of looking for somebody else to do it. Yeah, or getting so upset that you just feel like, oh, I can't master this and I can't handle this. You know, mm-hmm. you can just you know finding your resilience, calming, your, finding some calm and clarity yeah well hello everybody jonathan price here your podcast producer at ainc and i wanted to thank you for listening to part one of our episode with linda mccullough 
and a very interesting conversation around coaching and adapting to a new situation that you may find yourself in. So I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned to part two next week as Bill and Linda both dive more into adjusting to life and and what that means. Uh, And if you have any questions, you can contact Insight Skill Center. Uh, You can get a hold of Linda or somebody at at the facility. That would be awesome. If you have any questions, please visit us at aincolorado.org. We'd love to hear from you. love to answer your questions as we're going to get some of those questions uh, coming up in a couple weeks. So have a great day. Come see us at the hike August 12th. We'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm.